You're listening to the Crypto Markets Wiki podcast, brought to you by John Lothian News. I'm Matt Rabel, and you're listening to John Lothian News. Today, we'll be speaking with Carson Cook, CEO and founder of Fractal Wealth, LLC. Fractal Wealth is a trading and technology firm based in Los Angeles, California. The company specializes in proprietary algorithmic trading for digital assets. We've got their CEO here, Carson Cook, on the phone with us today to discuss their work providing liquidity to the digital asset markets. Carson, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Matt. Before we launch into your company and the sorts of things that you do, do you want to give our listeners a quick background as far as uh, your your entry into the crypto space and all that you've done? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I started as a technologist, did a PhD in physics doing theoretical and computational fluid dynamics in, in the fusion reactor space. While I was doing that, I was trading, uh, doing some equities and futures trading, so I was already very interested in the markets. I left, left school, joined McKinsey & Company, worked in management consulting for about three years, primarily in the banking and wealth management space. Uh, and during that time, I continued to, to monitor the crypto markets and the markets more broadly. I had a, had a part-time gig during grad school where I was uh, working with some ex-prop traders uh, in, in the FX space. And that kind of got me thinking a lot in terms of pair trading and, and just currency trading more broadly. And I was seeing a lot of parallels in the crypto space. Fast forward a couple of years of just monitoring the crypto markets, uh, and I was, I was beginning to see a lot of uh, initially just arbitrage opportunities, mispricing between all the different venues that were out there. And ultimately, that's what led me to code up the first, the first strategy and leave McKinsey to create Fractal Wealth. What inspired you to name your company Fractal Wealth? I, I really like that name. I, I thought that that was, an, that was an interesting choice. Yeah, great question. So my background before getting into the trading world, really in, in physics and mathematics, uh-huh. and, and something that I came across during my, my PhD work in math and physics was this concept of fractals. So if you're not familiar, in nature, there, there are these beautiful repeating patterns that are known as fractals. One famous example that you and, you and your listeners may have heard of is the Mandelbrot set. Just, just Google it if you haven't heard of it. But the cool thing about the Mandelbrot set is it's this very pretty, complex design. But the, the key feature here is as you start to zoom in to the, to the set or to the design, the same patterns start to repeat over and over again as you go to smaller and smaller scales. So you'll zoom in, you'll look like you're getting, getting somewhere in the photo, then you kind of come through to a whole new regime, and then you start seeing the same pattern again. And this happens all over in nature, and I believe that a lot of these natural patterns also occur, maybe to a different extent, but also occur in the financial markets, for example, in some of the pricing between interlinked or correlated assets. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Obviously, markets have cyclical patterns. Speaking of which, where do you land on that whole, I know some people who consider digital asset to be almost a dirty word, and I consider, I, I know other people who consider cryptocurrency to be just that, but what, what do you think of the, of the phrase digital asset, describing this, yeah. kind of a, this kind of a thing? That's, that's a great question. There's definitely a debate in the community on what to call these things, digital asset, cryptocurrencies, tokens, etc. At, at Fractal Wealth, we all really like the phrase digital assets. We think that digital assets kind of encompasses the entire space, whereas cryptocurrency is, is a bit more targeted in describing sort of a subset of the digital asset space. We, we don't think necessarily that cryptocurrency is a dirty word. Some people uh, feel that strongly. 
differently, but we do acknowledge that cryptocurrency has sometimes understandably developed some negative connotations over the years, um, especially after the uh, late 2017 boom and subsequent crash. And we think that digital assets is a bit more of the mature term or kind of crypto growing up. The term digital asset, we think, can include things like Bitcoin, which would be what, what would definitely fall under the cryptocurrency bucket as well. But it can also encompass things like stable coins that track the value of fiat currencies, such as the US dollar, and also other asset-backed tokens that might be backed by traditional assets like equity or fixed income or others. So in the simplest terms that you can, can you explain what it is that you and your company, Fractal Wealth, do in the crypto and blockchain world? I know you touched on it earlier. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we trade our firm's own assets at some of the many different places that are available to trade digital assets or cryptocurrencies. So basically what we do is we create buy and sell orders so that they're available on the market so that other traders can see that liquidity or those orders and trade with them or with us. And the impact of this is that it makes various digital assets much more available to trade for the other users or traders on these uh, uh, different venues. This process overall is called market making or liquidity provision. Mm-hmm. And this is this is sort of the core competency that, that Fractal does day in, day out. Mm-hmm. Something that's very unique about us in this space versus other, other market makers is that we're willing to make markets on both centralized exchanges, so think Coinbase here, mm-hmm. but, but then also on something known as a decentralized exchange. Mm-hmm. That'd be the DEX exchanges, as they call them. Yes, that's correct. What are the major, what's the biggest difference, would you say, between a centralized exchange like a Coinbase and uh, a decentralized exchange? Yep, great question. So centralized exchanges require you to store your assets at that exchange in order to trade. Mm-hmm. So again, think, think Coinbase. But the advantages here are that there's much more liquidity. There's a lot more trading. There's a lot uh, more orders on the book and a lot more trading volume on these exchanges. Yeah. And there's also, at the moment, faster technology and faster order execution on these venues. And to give you kind of an idea of the magnitude of this, 99% plus of the trading volume is currently on these centralized exchanges. So right. almost any time you hear people talking about trading cryptocurrencies, they're probably talking about centralized exchanges like Coinbase and Binance. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you have this concept of decentralized exchanges or DEXs for short. The benefits here is this allows traders to keep custody of their own assets so they don't have to give up control of their Bitcoin or their Ether to a third party like Coinbase. Mm-hmm. However, Generally, the liquidity and the trading volume is very low at the moment, and the technology is slow, which might be counter to what you'd expect. The reason for this is if you're trading directly on the Ethereum blockchain, Mm -hmm. you have to wait for what are known as block confirmations or just for your trade to sort of make it into the the stitching together of the blockchain in order for it actually to be confirmed and executed. Whereas in a centralized exchange, it's going to be very very much uh, more analogous to what listeners are used to in, in traditional traditional asset venues where they where they trade, where it's nearly instant, where their order fills. Other interesting things about DEXs are you often need to actually pay a fee to the blockchain miners in order to cancel or fill orders. So that, that's another wrinkle that makes DEX trading very unique. What would you say, functionally, what are the differences from your point of view, right, as a trading technology firm that works with both centralized and decentralized exchanges? What are the biggest differences between connecting to each exchange, a centralized versus a decentralized exchange? Because it seems like, especially in the case of decentralized exchanges, where it doesn't go through a single source, it's kind of all spider webbing out all over the place, it, it must present some unique challenges, I would think. Yes, absolutely. So I think the first thing to note is centralized exchanges are 
more or less one size fits all and that once you get good at writing to communicating back and forth with the centralized exchange, you have your, your price feed, your order router written so that you can place orders and you can digest price feeds from a centralized exchange. Mm-hmm. It's pretty simple than going to another one. They're going to have their own little quirks and things, but um, it, it's it's not overly technologically challenging. There's just a lot of details to work through. And, and just to give your listeners uh, an idea, this is you know, it's kind of analogous to traditional markets where you might have a fixed API that you're writing to, and you, or you might have something like REST uh, over WebSocket, something like that. So it looks very, very much like you would expect from other markets. And then on the other hand, decentralized exchanges, it can, it can be whatever the protocol set it up to be. I'll give you kind of a couple flavors of that. So in decentralized trading, sometimes you have a blockchain like Ethereum, where there's been a protocol written on, on top of the blockchain. Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of communicates directly with the protocol and mm-hmm. trades in a peer-to-peer manner over over that protocol. In order to do that, you have to understand all of the quirks and all of the all of the nuances of how to communicate directly with that protocol. And it's very very different than having a central a central server, a central exchange where you're communicating back and forth. Instead, you're you're waiting to hear updates on the book as the blockchain stitches itself together with each block. And you're also waiting to see your orders, your cancels be confirmed into the block. There's other ones that have a very different concept where rather than communicating directly with the protocol, you have an application that's built right on the blockchain and you have to communicate through the application, sometimes by locking up within what's known as a smart contract on the blockchain, some of your assets. And then you sort of access a pool of liquidity that exists within the application, which is other traders or market makers locking up their assets. Mm-hmm. So that just gives you an idea of both of these things. If these sound very exotic and kind of hard to fathom when I'm just speaking through them in a couple sentences, that's because uh, that's because they are complicated and they're they're completely new paradigms for for how trading trading works. Mm-hmm. How does your f- platform handle something or things like KYC AML compliance with a platform like this? Great question. So as of today, we are a proprietary or trading firm, which means that we, we only trade our own money. So because of this, this process becomes quite a bit simpler for us versus, say, a hedge fund or a broker that has clients' accounts that they're trading. So for us, the biggest hurdles that we have to overcome are completing all of the KYC AML uh, of the exchanges uh, and trading venues that we trade on, and then also doing diligence on our end to make sure that those exchanges have the proper procedures in place so that we feel comfortable trading with them and their counterparties. But, but we don't explicitly have our own set of clients that we need to put through our, our own KYC AML process. And that could change in the future if we were to launch an LP fund down the road or if we were to onboard clients and trade on their behalf in some sort of future state. What, uh, what types of clients do you typically work with? Yeah, so we, we more have partners, I will say. Okay. So, so we tend to partner with both exchanges and token projects in mm-hmm. order to place orders, as I mentioned earlier, placing bid and offer, bid and offer orders. Mm-hmm. And then thus improve the experience for the users or the, the traders that are either accessing their exchange or accessing their application or project. Mm-hmm. So to give you an idea of kind of what this looks like across both exchanges and, and projects, exchanges could be centralized or decentralized exchanges that we work with. Typically what they want to see is a tighter bid-ask spread. Bid-ask spread is, is basically the difference between the price at which a user or, or a trader can buy and sell the asset. And so they want that tighter or smaller because that will make the assets effectively less expensive to buy and sell for other traders. And that generally leads to more, more trading volume just because the, it's more attractive to trade. 
Sure. On the other hand, with token projects, they often want something similar to this, but this is for the specific digital asset that they have in order to allow their users to access their application or to interact with their protocol. So for them, their biggest biggest hurdle that they're trying to overcome is have that asset be readily available for potential customers to come in and buy their tokens so that they can use the application. Mm-hmm. Um, and also making sure that there's liquidity available for others. So think investors, employees of the, the protocol or a project or company and other traders just to be able to sell it, kind of go back and forth between their digital asset or token and other tokens in the ecosystem. So your company provides automated trading for crypto assets. How how does your platform work in terms of automated trading? We have a, a set of proprietary algorithmic strategies that we can configure based on a number of criteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, so based on market conditions, where we're trading, the requirements of the different exchanges or the projects that we're partnering with. And these automated strategies place, fill, cancel our orders based on pre-configured parameters that relate to the profit level of the trade, the amount of liquidity or kind of number and size of orders that we're putting into the order book, market pricing that we're seeing on the venue where we're trading and elsewhere, and many, many other things. What's it like doing business with former and current institutional finance folks? That's a great question. So I actually did have a bit of experience in in FX trading and also some financial and wealth management banking consulting at McKinsey & Company. Mm -hmm. But it is true that I didn't have a full career in, in finance or institutional finance before entering digital assets. So I think it's it's very interesting to see, if I just take a step back, it's, it's very interesting to see how practices and processes in the digital asset space have mirrored the traditional finance world. Mm-hmm. We, we really like doing business with people from traditional finance, mm-hmm. but we also think that there's times when we have an edge because we think about things in a bit of a different way and think more freely about how to solve new problems we're seeing and also how we can leverage what the blockchain technology enables us to do. And, and we really see uh, kind of across the space that the, the, the players in digital assets, in particular in digital asset trading, is a, is a nice mashup of traditional finance types, new digital asset types, blockchain technologists, and, and there's other, other groups that are, are getting involved in as well. I think institutional folks bring a, a high level of rigor to the space, and this will be a key component of blockchain and digital assets growing up and realizing their potential. Institutional folks know what good looks like in, in the traditional legacy markets, and once they understand how to interface that with the potential of blockchain, they will be key in setting up a lot of new solutions that the space needs. Some examples there would be prime brokerage, clearing, and settlement. So cryptocurrency trading is considered an industry that is still maturing broadly. What are some of the biggest challenges you've seen while trying to improve the liquidity of the digital asset markets? Yeah, so I think there's at least three things that are challenges or or interesting gaps currently in the space. So if I just kind of go in order here, first, I think there's a lack of a fundamental valuation approach. This is something internally we've been trying to wrap our heads around a lot in terms of setting up different, different ways to value things like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. But we think kind of across the board, this is something that will be more important in the coming years once these things start to trade on fundamentals. Thus far, they've been highly speculative and, and probably don't really trade on, on fundamentals anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but we think that that's a, that's a gap in the space. Second is, cent- we, we talked a little bit about centralized versus decentralized exchanges. Yeah. If you think about sort of the vision of the space, you could argue that centralized exchanges and, and the, the requirements of holding custody or holding the trader's assets is a bit against the ethos of the space, where the 
individuals to hold their own assets and being able to send assets between each other. They should also be able to trade between each other. Sure. Plus, you start to couple in the, the hacking risk of some of these centralized exchanges. Think of like the Mt. Gox headlines from the past. Yeah. And you start to see that, okay, there's, there's a bit of a, an issue potentially with centralized trading, or at least there's room to develop. On the other hand, decentralized trading has kind of its own issues where you have low liquidity, they're still actively developing their technology, and they also, you know, there's a lot of promise there because we can we can trade in a decentralized manner once this is ready, but they're still kind of working through uh, their, growing, their growing pains. Right. Um, so I think this is one of the big, big opportunities in the space is to kind of expand what the paradigm should be for actually uh, trading these assets and figuring out where, where the needle falls between centralized and decentralized. The third piece I'll say is just that digital assets kind of are yet to be fully adopted or fully mainstream, even by retail investors, and then certainly by institutions and institutional investors. I think across all three of these things, there's, there's a lot of opportunity if I just go into a little more detail. And kind of going deeper on the centralized exchange piece, there's kind of a secondary difficulty that comes with this. And that is, right now, since there's many different centralized exchanges, spot trading digital assets currently requires you to hold assets on all of the different exchanges that you want to trade on, mm-hmm. generally without any margin. Right. Uh, there, there are some notable exceptions, but generally without margin. When you add in the hacking risks, this becomes both a operational and a, a a significant um, risk consideration for anyone who's in the business of trading across these venues. Mm-hmm. This is generally solved in traditional markets through the prime brokerage or central clearing model. And the reality in, in blockchain digital assets is this simply doesn't exist yet. And what that means is capital efficiency of a trading group like, like ours at Fractal suffers as a result of that. We have to have our assets deployed at all the different venues, and, and we're not able to kind of hold them in, in one one spot, either as a third party or ourselves, and, and trade using that. The types of things that you provide, the types of services, they are not as widespread in the cryptocurrency market and the digital asset market currently. As I said earlier, it's kind of still a thing that's maturing. Do you see the the necessary developments to the market infrastructure that you've been discussing that your company provides? Do you think that those are going to become more widespread and, and more common and, and that the market in general is going to be more filled out sooner rather than later, like let's say the next like five years, or do you think it's going to take longer than that? Yes, good, good question. So one, I think just broadly, I think better development of the decentralized technology is, is going to occur over the next, say, one to three years. Mm-hmm. And I think this will lead to much more efficient trading and more peer-to-peer trading directly on blockchain, whether the Ethereum blockchain or other blockchains. Mm-hmm. And I think what this means is, in this in the next few years, I expect that the fragmentation of the market will continue. So we'll continue to see a lot of what we've been calling centralized exchanges, and I think we will see more and more of those. So I think the uh, you asked about sort of the liquidity provision, market making. I think that that will mature as well. But I think the space is going to continue to expand to offer more opportunity for those types of services. And I I also think you'll see more hybrid venues that are somewhere on the spectrum between fully centralized exchange and fully decentralized exchange. You can There's very interesting kind of models in between where you could have traders custody their assets at a, a centralized custodian and then have an ex- execution layer that plugs into the, the custody. We call those custody-linked venues, and those are sort of somewhere between the centralized and decentralized end of, end of the spectrum. Right. 
think there's likely a Nobel Prize in economics waiting for someone who can properly develop the right fundamental valuation approach for blockchain-based assets like Bitcoin. As I mentioned before, we have our own internal models at Fractal, but I don't expect we'll be winning the Nobel Prize anytime soon. <laughs> On the, uh, the central clearing piece that I mentioned, I think someone will solve that central clearing component and maybe in, say, the next couple of years. And I think that will help get more banks and institutions into the space. I think it will get them more comfortable um, when, when they don't have to give up custody of their assets to, say, Coinbase or Binance in order to trade. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I mentioned the sort of mainstream adoption piece. I think there'll be continuous and gradual increase in mainstream adoption, both by individuals and then also institutions and corporations. Over the next, say, five to ten years, I think it's going to take a bit of time. But I think in the future, we can expect to see a lot of corporate tokens, airline miles, credit card and loyalty points, and other things of that nature available on the blockchain. There's a very real chance that the blockchain is going to start to pull in much of traditional finance and also a lot of other sort of financial functions from corporate from the corporate world into its orbit. It's just going to take some time. Well, Carson, I, I want to thank you for joining us on the program today. I learned a lot. I'm uh, sure that our listeners have learned a lot as well, enjoyed talking to you, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Matt. appreciate it. For more news, videos, and podcasts like this, head over to johnlothiannews.com.